if we don't understand how it works and what it does, then it will control us. And anything that controls us is not of God. God will never control us. There is no protocol, there's no precedent, there's no scripture in the Bible that indicates that God controls humans. Now he controls the seasons, the times, he can control those things because there are things. But God never designed the human race to be controlled. Meaning, he did not design us, design us for him to make us do things. Mm-hmm. See, I think people make a lot of mistakes in thinking this, and they, and they chalk it all up to God as sovereign, so he can do whatever he wants to do. So, God has the ability to do whatever he would like to do, but he is love enough to know that when he says something and when he tells us something, it is that thing he says and how he says it. So the protocol we have for how God treats a human being is found right in Genesis, where the, the, the occurrence of Adam and Eve eating of the fruit out of disobedience, God did not stop them. He came after If God controlled humans, would that not be the place to control everything? For real. And we'd all be living in paradise from day one. (laughs) If God controlled people, the flood would have never had to happen. Right? Because he would have controlled every person and make them do what they were supposed to do. In order not to sin so badly against humanity and God and how they were created that he had to wipe them off the face of the earth. That's pretty drastic. I, I, I highly doubt that God would whoa, I highly doubt that God would want to wipe the human race off the face of the earth and have them be no more than to um, than to make them do what he wants them to do if he controlled us. Would it have been easier? A lot easier. So To get what I'm saying, you need to understand what I just said. You were not created. Whether you are a Christian or not, whether you are saved or unsaved, God did not create you to be controlled. He created you to control the creation that he made on the earth. Because he gave us dominion and told us to subdue the earth. But nobody has the authority from God to control another person. You understand? If this was the case, if this is how God expected us to operate, controlling each other, there would be no need for laws. There would be no need for systems. There would be no need for these things because we would simply make you do whatever you're supposed to do. You see, you see what I'm saying? But the laws are there as a guide, so when you break them, you pay the consequences of them. If we were supposed to control you, then we would have set up a system where we would, and God would have helped us for you not to fall in sin in the first place when we saw you doing it, or do something that would be detrimental to your health. It doesn't even have to be sin. It could just be something bad that's not good for you, right? And 
we would have the ability to control you and to make you not do it. If you understand this principle, you won't get so upset about your kids doing stuff that you wish they wouldn't do. Look at God's children. They're doing a lot of stuff he didn't want them to do. And the Bible is saying then God's got a big guilt trip because he can't make his children follow him. That's right. <laughs> right? Yep. So wipe that off your list if that's your thing. Growing up, I always remember my dad saying this to people. Um, uh, I was his, um, I was his, the state office secretary for a period of time. So whenever women would come in with their children, and they'd usually come by themselves because their husbands were at work, and they needed counsel, my dad would have me sit in with them because I was right there, so I'd sit in with them, and I'd be in the corner, and and so uh, he would, they would have all these issues, you know, they, their kids would do these things, and you know, some of the kids were pregnant, some of the kids were, you know, doing all kinds of stuff and things that are like taboo and all this stuff, and um, and so my dad would always say to us that here's a good, you know, here's here's what someone did, and here are the consequences. And he would always say, you make your bed, you lie in it. I don't have to tell you what to do and not do. You know what's right to do, so you decide what you're going to do. But when people would, would be afraid of like what their kids were doing or embarrassed or ashamed, he, my dad would always say, I do not judge people from their children because I've got four of my own. Only God knows what they plan to do. You can't make, all you can do is train your child and pray for them and believe God that they will make the right decision. And if they make a mistake, there's a place for them to come and have a refuge. Yes. You see? That's a different approach than feeling guilty and ashamed and like, I did something wrong. And You would have done something wrong if you went to church by yourself and refused to introduce them to that. Yeah, that's wrong. You should beat somebody up about it. You pick who. But... <laughs> If you were in a situation where you wanted to, you tried to, you did everything you could, and it still you didn't, then just pray from where you are to where you need you need things to be. Prayer still works. So then, if prayer works to change people, how is it working if God's not controlling them? Is that a question? Right? How's that work if God's not controlling them? Right? Well, that I don't know. That's not in my notes. I don't need to hear all this. Okay. Let's look at a scripture first. Um, you remember when... Uh, where is it that uh, Elijah called... Uh, told the heavens to shut up. I have it in here somewhere. Let's think of, a, of an example in the Bible where, um, well, let's talk about this. The prophet of um, uh, Balaam. You remember when Balaam was going to disobey God, right? He was pretty much going to make a prophecy against God's people. So in today's time, we've got a lot of things going on that are against God's people all over the world, from America all the way to every single continent on the planet Earth, there are things that are being done that are harming God's people. Now, we are encouraged to pray, right? Pray for the persecuted believers. Pray for those who are under dictatorship. Pray for all these things. 
So if we're doing that, then how is it going to work if we're not allowed to control people? You know, we're not allowed to control people. Well, here's the thing. For a human being to be so outrageously violent and care less about another human being, they have to be influenced by another spirit. They have to be influenced by an environment. They have to be influenced by something that is not of God. Oh, you remember the story of Cain and Abel? That's the story. You remember Cain and Abel? Let's go to there, Genesis. I think it's Genesis 4. That's the perfect example for us to look at. Genesis chapter 4. Okay. And here starts in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living. So now Adam had sexual relations with his wife. We're glad that that's how Cain came about. And Eve, she became pregnant. Uh, when she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When he was, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord, and Abel brought a gift, the best portion of the firstborn land. So we know all that story, right? Verse uh, five, 6 or 5, whatever that number is. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. Eager to control you. This is what the New Living says. I don't know what your version says. Okay, master you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Do you see this? So, if God controlled us, right, wouldn't this be the moment he could have controlled Cain? Yeah. And say, what do you think you're doing? Go back and do this, this, and this. And bring it to me now. Right? But God is not a controller of people. God showed Cain who the controller is. Sin is crouching at your door wanting to control you. But here is the caveat. We have the authority by God. God actually told Cain, you have to master it. You have to control sin. See, if people get the teaching that it's just who I am, it's just my nature, and it's just like what my dad did or what my mom did or what our family does, I just can't control myself, that means sin is controlling you. But if you rise up and say, I have authority to control you, so you get from my door right now, that right there is how you handle sin. But here's the other thing. Do you remember when Peter was going to deny Jesus? Jesus knew about it. He told him about it. So Jesus didn't tell him so that he could control him. You're, you're, I mean, Jesus, that would have been the moment to say it, but I have decided you are not going to do that to me. 
It says, Jesus says, I prayed that your faith would fail not. So if you have any inkling that the person you are trying to help has any sort of faith, the prayer, a prayer you could pray is pray that their faith would fail not. You see? So you're not controlling the person, you're controlling sin that is crouching at their door. You see how this works? Pray that faith would not fail. I think when people pray for people, they pray a lot of, oh Lord, please help them, do whatever you got to do, oh please, please, and it's like desperation, that's not faith. It's almost like, please don't let him do it. Please don't let him do it. God can't control that. He can't control, please don't let him do it. Please don't let him do it. He, well, what's he going to do? <laughs> right? Now, the other example I was going to was Balaam on the donkey, right? You remember how the angel stood there? The donkey spoke. God could tell the donkey what to say. Like, God, God could cause the donkey to speak. So he did it. And Balaam still had a choice, though. Right? He could have chosen not to listen to a donkey. Right. He won't listen to God. <laughs> right? But God will do anything he can to get us to a place where we could actually see clearly what's really going on. So we could make the proper decision. Because we have to make the decision. Right. God is not going to come in and make you do anything. Right. Nothing. There is no evidence in the Bible. He did not even make Jesus do what he did. Jesus said, I lay down my life. God didn't make Jesus die on the cross. Jesus did it willingly. You see the difference there? So, okay, so we've learned all about the human choice. So this means if someone is telling you that you have to do something, right? The first indication right there is sin is involved in this request. Because it's not a leading, it's a controlling. Alright? The difference between God and the devil is the devil will use leverage over you. So it would sound like if you uh, want to be this, you better do that. Or, you know, or you're so, um, you've already done so many bad things. You need to do this for, to make up for it. Right? God would never talk to you like that. The reason is, his blood takes care of all that. His forgiveness takes care of all that. He would, he would, not, um, he would not substitute his blood and the work of the cross for you being you know, good, good work. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that's like a filthy rat before him. Okay? So whenever you're getting these guilty thoughts and feelings, it is sin trying to control you. It's at your door. Right? And it's trying to tell you why or why not things are the way they are. And it always has to bring in, bring in another variable 
Okay, Tom's telling statistics of using the word variable. So, <laughs> I never used that word before teaching ever. I'm using the word variable. So, <laughs> in order for you to be comparing yourself to something, there has to be another thing. Right? Well, the devil don't want you to compare yourself to him. Because we know what that's going to look like. Right? If you use the Bible to compare yourself to the devil, well, it's a no-brainer. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> he has to have you compare yourself to your past, to somebody of close enough um, stature, meaning age, position, education, um, lineage, you know the thing, gender, race, whatever he could get you to look at to make you wonder what's wrong with you that you can't do what they have accomplished already at that age or with those tools or because of this. You understand what I'm saying? Whenever you see those things start being introduced to your life, it is a trap from Satan to isolate you. Nobody who has a good message who is excited about something, who thinks they have the best thing in the world for other people to enjoy, whatever, well, the Bible's also hide it under a bushel, right? We sing the song, hide it under a bushel, right? <laughs> Nobody likes the light so they can put it out or hide it away, right? Well, when we become born again, light, we become this eternal flame, right? And only we can put it out by deciding to reject Jesus, but we have the light and the life of God in us. And so, with that being hidden, hiding ourselves away, is not something that God, that would benefit the kingdom, would it? Okay? So, the comparison trick, a lot of people, without realizing it, um, if you work with people in this area, this happens to you. If you get into any kind of depression or lull, you know, like, you know, like, they call it the funk or whatever, trace back your thoughts and your ideas and see if there was not some comparison going on in there. Right? And so what has happened is you have just been mastered by sin. Whether you sinned or not, you were mastered by sin. Now, Cain eventually committed sin of murder, but it started with his decision not to master sin. Now, mind you, this isn't um, a preacher talking to Cain. You, you do understand, this is God himself. This is God himself having a conversation with Cain. So it wasn't like... He was hearing a message from some guy that he doesn't believe, you know, because it's some preacher and it's not been verified yet. No, this is God, right? And he is the next down from Adam and Eve. So it's not like they're too far apart here. This is pretty clear with God. But you see how sin is not afraid to be in the presence of God. I think people misunderstand this. Is that me? Yes. Well, there. No, that's better. People misunderstand God and think that if they stay in His presence long enough, 
then these things wouldn't bother them. Well, that's not true. Because sin is on the earth. And sin's job is to crouch at your door and master you. That's sin's job. Sin's job is to crouch at the door, is to master you. Another word for that is control. Right? Sin's job is to control you. Now, if, if I wanted to control you, do you ever see those shows where they um, do the uh, hypnosis, right? They bring people up on the stage. It's so warm in here. They bring people up on the stage and they uh, give them suggestions. I also wonder how they think that would work with me. Yeah, they give them suggestions, they reprogram their minds, and then they control them. Is that the whole point? Like, they have to do a couple things, and then they're, they're ready now to be controlled. You ever saw them? And they're like, okay, when I say this, you're going to do that. When I say this, everybody, oh my word, like, wow. And the person comes back and they're like, what happened? Right? So, that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to mind control you, get you to do some of his assignments. And then by the time you come to your senses, you're like, well, well, what happened? Everybody's like, why did you do that? What did I do? Lack of knowledge is another way to mind control you. Right? right. So we got the comparison, and then we get the lack of knowledge. What did the Bible say? My people die for a lack of knowledge. Right? right. So... If the devil could manipulate you into feeling less, um, into feeling like you have less authority than you have, right? Then he could use your lack of knowledge to give you instructions on what to do. You see this trap here? So, one of the ways that the enemy uses to keep you under subjection to his suggestions and ideas. Again, he can't really control you. He has to get something else to master you. So your physical body is going to be under pressure to compare yourself to somebody else, as Cain did with Abel, his brother. Right? And it gets so strong that in order for you to become top dog, the other person has to get out of the way. Right? Well, back in Cain's day, that way was death. So then who's going to give God gifts now? Who's going to have to take what I give him? Right? Whenever you get to the place where you think you are the only one that can do certain things, that is a sin of pride that is coming and knocking on your door to control you. When you think at your workplace, in your house, 
Even in church, when you think, they don't have me, I don't know what they think they're going to do. Because of here. Wasn't it that Cain thought God didn't appreciate his gift as much as he did Abel? Isn't that how people get offended in many places, including church? They just didn't appreciate me enough. They just don't see my all my work. Well, I sure hope that you weren't expecting us to reward you, but that God would, right? The Bible said if you get a reward here, that's it. Right. But but plan to let God reward you. Because that's that's where you want your rewards to go. Amen. But here's the other part. You of your own may not ever think these thoughts. Like really, you you were just happy to help, you're just happy to be a blessing. So the, the devil has to send in reinforcement. He has to send in reinforcement. Do you remember the story of Jezebel and Ahab? And you remember Ahab wanted something. He wanted a land. And he couldn't figure out how to get it because he did go through the right channels. He did ask the guy in the right way. The guy wasn't selling. It was his family land. He didn't want to sell. So Ahab was willing to take it, but he was still sad. By the way, the countenance, your countenance has a lot to do with sin mastering you. Pay attention to that, right? Because Cain, God came and asked him, why is your countenance so low? Ahab, right? He got attention from Jezebel because why? If you read the story, he looked dejected and sad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when you have that countenance, it's an invitation to um, sin to soothe you. This is not working out for me. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. <laughs> so, how about if we turn it off? And yeah, we'll just uh, take care of that problem. Okay. So, what we want to do is we want to watch. Do you remember how the Bible says Psalm 100? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Do you know what your happiness does to the enemy? You ever saw um, the jump rope thing where two people are spinning the rope, you know, somebody's jumping in, yeah. right? If you ever watch that where there's a master doing it, like somebody that's like, oh my word, like they, this, the championship of this stuff. Do you think you would find a chance jumping in there like, hey, watch me, what I could do, yeah. right? I think you might kind of like watch in awe, right? That's what it's like for the enemy when you're jumping for joy, when you are so excited about who you are, what God's doing in your life, what's going on. There are people that are like, just like, cheer, there's your cheerleading group, and you're jumping, you're having a good time. You think the enemy's going to be able to jump in there and like, let me take a swing at it. What happens to the person that tries to come into the rhythm? If you don't have the right rhythm, you're going to like tip over, right? Well, guess what? Things happen in the, in the spiritual realm. Things have a rhythm. Things have a rhythm. If you've ever taken a um, sonogram of your blood flow, I had to do that one time, where they put a thing, I don't know what it's called, they put a, a thing up to your vein here and listened for the beat of your blood through your system. And if it's irregular, there's an indication there could be a blockage. And when I heard that, years ago I took it, when I heard that, I thought to myself, wow, our bodies are sending this rhythm 
to God in heaven. He could hear it. And this is what, when I was thinking, part of keeping ourselves um, healthy for God, like making sure that we eliminate whatever we have to, like to make our bodies work, function properly, it's almost, it's all, it's worshiping God in a way. Because then the sounds that are coming out of us, without us opening our mouths, are things that are pleasant to Him. Like it's how He said it. You know what I'm saying? And um, so with that said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye land. Serve the Lord with gladness. All that stuff. Clap your hands, oh ye people. You see all those things? Do you think that would have any um, counteraction to the enemy coming at your door trying to entice you with sin? Now, also, remember, sin is not afraid of the presence of God. And I think people don't realize that. Here is how you master sin. It's not for it not to be there. God didn't say, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. And so I've chased it away. (laughs) You have to make a decision. You have to master it. You have to tell it, I'm the boss of you. If you don't do that, then it will tell you it's the boss of you. That's it. And then when it's done getting you to do its job, it makes you feel guilty. That's kind of how hell is going to be. Is that you get tormented in there with mockery too about all the times that the devil got you. And now here you are, I got you. You see? So the enemy is always going to read to you your errors, your mistakes, your weaknesses, the things you're terrible at. All these things until he can get your face to look like he wants it to look. And then he's going to send somebody in to agree with everything you think about yourself that lines up with him. And at that point, if you're not careful, you would get upset, offended, and ticked off at somebody who tells you otherwise. And that's when... Isolation has has gotten pregnant in you. And you start protecting that right like you would a baby. And don't even know that's what you're doing. Now, Proverbs 18.1 says, and this I believe is the new living or the passion. It says an unfriendly person isolates themselves and seems to care only about his own needs for his contempt of sound judgment makes him a recluse. Was Cain showing contempt for God's word when he rejected mastering sin? Yes. Contempt for God's word leads you to sin. In Cain's case, he committed murder. If you hang out too much around someone that is critical of God's stuff, this means God's house, God's people, God's word, God's ways, you are going to birth murder. And it might not be that you walk around and kill somebody. 
It sure is going to be, though, that you kill every single dream that God put in you. And you might kill other people's, too. Simply because of your sourness that you're carrying around, too. And that person will convince you so much that they are the authority on whatever topic you're talking about. And you will start agreeing with them. And the more you keep agreeing, the further away from God's word you keep getting. When God's word over here says, I want you to do this. Does that make sense? In order for God's word to work for you, you have to be out of isolation in with people. Because the only way to test the fruit of the Spirit, which is proof that you got stuff working in you, right? Is with other people. Go to Galatians 5.22. I'll prove it to you. Galatians 5.22. Are you getting some out of this? Galatians 5.22. Okay. And this, by the way, chapter is talking about freedom. All that good stuff. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. So if you're in isolation and you're producing love, who gets love? You love yourself. That's it. Right? Nobody else around you to love. Peace. Joy. You know, a lot of people think that in order to have peace, they have to be by themselves. Patience. You got to be around people for patience, right? Kindness. Yeah, you can be kind to yourself, but ultimately the results come from how you treat other people, right? Goodness, again, other people. Faithfulness, again, other people. That, that denotes a relationship, to be faithful in a relationship. Gentleness and self-control. Self-control is also for other people, so you don't go raving mad at somebody and start, let me give you a piece of my mind. <laughs> right? It's also for you to control yourself, but it's also for you to have self-control amongst other people. And there is no law against these things. You see that? So if, I want to tell you a nugget about patience. Pastor Doug was preaching this message about patience, you know, and he said patience, is for when you cannot control something. I don't know if when you heard that message you got that, but that jumped out at me. Patience is to be used for when you cannot control something, right? Because it's out of your hands. Well, do you know the, the number one thing universally forever that will never change that you cannot control? People. You cannot control people and you should not plan to do it. See, people think if they set certain things up, finally, I could get them to do what I'm asking them to do. You'll never get there because you weren't designed to be there. You were never designed to control other people and you shouldn't try to want to. You should plan... To, to execute patience with every human being you know. That should be the bank account you build up. 
You will never get to a place where you can control another person. You can manipulate another person. You can guilt another person. You can stress another person out so much, which is manipulation. But you can never, God will never support you controlling another person. Ever. So, patience is something you should build up heavy in your life. Because that will allow you to let everyone else have their free will around you. And not interfere with it. And be patient that when they execute their own will that causes them harm or causes them to go backwards when you can clearly see it. You are patient to wait for them to make the right decision. For their faith to fail not. You see, Jesus waited for Peter. And then the way that he integrated Peter back was to ask him a question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you, love me? you know what I'm saying? And then give him an instruction. Do you love me? Okay, feed me. Do you love me? Feed. Do you love me? Feed. And that's how Jesus reintegrated back Peter. He didn't ask him, what did it feel like when you denied me? <laughs> you know, I heard every word. <laughs> I can't believe it was a little girl that made you do it. <laughs> there was none of that happened as a discussion. Jesus never even brought it up. He pointed it out, and that was his. That's all he did. I bet when Peter was finished doing that act and realized, oh my gosh, Jesus told me that. But you know what else Jesus said? That I pray that your faith would fail not. Wouldn't that be a word of encouragement? And then it would be something that Peter could fall back on. See, what that did, it didn't give place to the devil. There was a place for God's word to be thought about. And so now Peter could hear Jesus say, I pray that your faith will fail not. Right? So, when you are executing patience with people, you want to be able to deposit seeds in them that they could hear when they come to their senses. Remember the prodigal son? He sat there and came to himself and said, My father's house has servants that are being better taken care of than me. If I go there to submit myself as a servant, I'm, you know what I'm saying? He had a recollection, a recollection. He recalled something good. And it was attached to his father's house. He didn't recall the good times he had with his buddies who took all his money and spent it with him. He didn't recall the great meal he had back in some casino somewhere. He recalled how his father's house treated the people that served them. And if he could even get that kind of treatment, he was willing to accept it. You see? So, when you're operating patience for someone, this is us not controlling other people. You need to leave it Open and clear that if they come to you and come to their senses, they're not going to be told what the devil tells them. They're going to remember you not, you know, telling them how terrible they are. Right? Now, um, we talk about Genesis 2. Well, Genesis 2.18, you can write that down, which we all know. God himself said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not just in marriage, but period. It ain't good for one human being to be hanging out by themselves. 
forever. Right? Good news is we got more than one human being on the earth. Problem solved. <laughs> right? Okay. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures. You can write down and just go check them out in different um, translations. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10. Two, two are better than one. Right? Because they have a good reward for their labor. And then Ecclesiastes 4, 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. That means you're covering both sides. Right? Um, three are even better. And this is where people do this for uh, marriages all the time. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Right? Hebrews 10.24. Let's look at that one. Hebrews 10.24. Hebrews 10.24. You know what's sad is that this verse right here I'm about to read. People despise it. And they see it as an act of control from, um, they see it as an act of control from pastors to tell people they better come to church. Right? But it's actually a scripture that God put in the Bible to remind us that as the days are approaching, as we're getting closer to the coming of Christ, don't neglect this thing because it's going to, like, just like he told Cain, <laughs> since crouching at your door, don't let it master you. He's actually telling his body, it's going to be tempting. You're going to have opportunity to not assemble, but don't do it. Right? So here it is. Um, we start verse 24, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, not to control each other, but to motivate, right? And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Do you see this? So when we see the enemy mandating that we don't do this, if I were a Christian, I would for sure realize the seriousness of this. Right? Because when you can be isolated, you are going to be tempted. And I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. Let's go to, let me see where I have it here. I have a version of it that I want to... Um, Matthew 4. Let's go to the Matthew 4 account of this. Right? Matthew chapter 4. The reason for isolation is temptation. The reason for isolation is temptation. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by who? The devil. The temptation 
you will face in isolation or wilderness, whatever you want to call it, will be coming from the devil. Jesus was led there to go through this process so he could overcome it for us. Do you understand? Like he was actually led by the Holy Spirit there. Was Jesus tempted after he finished the 40 days in the wilderness? Was he tempted by the devil? The devil himself showed up and gave him all these things. Tempted him. Right? They weren't gifts from the devil. He, weren't give, he wasn't going to give him a thing. He was just manipulating him and sin was there to tempt him. But did Jesus master sin? Yes, yes he did. Right? Jesus mastered sin. So if you come and tell me that I need to isolate myself because I feel, I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me to seclude myself for whatever amount of time, I will be most assuredly reminding you that the purpose of seclusion and isolation is temptation. So if it really is the Holy Spirit that is doing this, be prepared to overcome temptation from this experience. Do you understand what I'm saying here? It's not so... So Jesus left here though full of the Holy Ghost. Well, he was never empty of the Holy Ghost. But the point of, that the Holy Spirit is making here, the point that the Bible is saying, is that he overcame the devil's temptation and was not drained of the power of the Holy Ghost. He was still full of the Holy Ghost. So it doesn't take, it doesn't take energy off your Holy Ghost battery when you master sin. It... Sin is not a fight. It's a decision. It, it, it's a subject to be bowing to you, not the other way around. So you are the master of sin. And it's your job. Like, it's your position. Your position is not designed to drain you. Your position is empowering. It's, it's got power with it. It has authority. It has a right to be it. So you have a right to master sin. That's what God designed you to do. If God didn't design the human to master sin, then what is the, what would be, would God be a just God to give consequences to Adam and Eve and the whole mankind for that matter? No. So, that tells me we are designed to say no. We are designed to say no to being controlled by sin, period. Okay? So, another example of... Um, I'm going to tell you the, the, where it is. 1 Kings 17, 2-5. And this is where Elijah was having a pity party. Remember I told you about the countenance of your faith. We could add Elijah to this list, right? right. Elijah. Elijah was having a little pity party. And 
What did he do after? He went and isolated himself. You remember the story? Elijah went, found himself in a tree, sit under and have a little pity party. And announcing to God, now God's the only one there he could talk to, which is ironic in the whole thing. Announcing to God that he's the only one. So I say pride's coming in there. Do you see all these things? Whenever there's a pity party, the only person that will show up is the person to enforce the sin. Whatever sin's about to be committed, you're going to have a partner show up to help you with that. To tell you you're right to feel this way. Because the world's just not good to you. You know, Naomi renamed herself bitter. Right? You talk about pity party. I mean, the woman changed her name to bitter. And, but do you, Ruth never is it Ruth? Yeah, Ruth. Ruth. I always get mixed up with Esther and Naomi and Ruth and Naomi. Ruth never held her pity party. You ever read that account? Say, Ruth, go, oh, mother-in-law, I feel your pain. Me too had this pain, but you must have it more than me. Because it's double for you. No, 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 no. Ruth spoke vision to this woman. Ruth said, I want to go where you're going. I want your God to be my God. Ruth literally showed the woman how she could multiply what she knows. And keep her family line going. From a woman, nonetheless. No pity party coming from Ruth. You see the difference? And the end result for Ruth was a husband that owned the stuff. A kinsman redeemer. And she got into the line, the lineage of Jesus from that decision. You see, Orpha was there too. And all the last thing we saw of Orpha was her back. When she turned back, right? And I'm sure when she got back to her city, they were all applauding her efforts to say, that was good, that was the right thing to do. You don't know where they're going. But then I'm sure they've heard about Ruth then from since then. You see, you can master sin, but you cannot do it in isolation. Because that's where it comes to get you. The only time you go in isolation is when the Holy Spirit leads you there. But make sure you know, temptation's coming. I don't know of anybody else that was led by the Holy Spirit in isolation. I haven't gotten that far in the Bible yet, apparently, but I don't remember reading it. Now, there was this guy who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Remember? All the stories in the Bible of isolation is really of um, the enemy doing something to cause it for people to make that decision or being forced into it, you know? And so um, it's in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. You can read about that, where he talks about being exiled. And then what did God do? God gave him revelation. God became his companion. God showed up and kept him company. Why? Because isolation is not right for us. We don't do too well in isolation. (laughs) You see? 
So God knows how to fix what the enemy's plans are as long as you don't agree with it. See, if we agree with something that the enemy has designed for us, God has no entrance to it. All he can do is wait until we come to our senses. But when we do come to our senses, he's right there, ready to go. I shared this with somebody that the enemy's plan is always destruction. So when he's finished using somebody, he destroys them. He completely destroys them. He wrecks them. But if that person would realize that they just call out on Jesus, he comes in and restores everything and builds them back up. The enemy has no restoration plan. He doesn't have the ability to. He can just build people up for status and prideful things, like make them big and influential, and then boom, when he's done with them, he will strip them down to nothing. And everybody will be wondering what happened. Whenever you see a great heathen fall and lose their influence, you can be guaranteed, watch behind them, who does the enemy have next to take their place? Because he's done with them. He's done using them. And now he needs somebody else. And you've got to watch for who that other person is, because now that is the person you need to keep your eye on. Right? So... Isolation can lead you to see, isolation will lead you to seek out many counselors to agree with your decision to be isolated. And you will, you will develop a new mindset on the subject that you're being isolated about. It's a conditioning. And once the enemy knows that he has conditioned you well, you will self-defend that decision. So anybody that tries to come in to tell you otherwise will become your enemy. And, that, and so do you remember the Bible says, don't rebuke a foolish man because they'll hate you more for it. But rebuke somebody who has a teachable spirit because they'll love you for it. So when you have given in to the enemy's plan for your life, whether it's through isolation, self-pity, whatever, you are in a foolish position. So for somebody to come in with wise words for you, it would be detrimental to them and to you. Because you now will take up a position of despising. Which is a little notch up to wanting to kill. So sometimes you just have to leave people alone until they come to their senses. It's the best thing to do for them. But in the meantime, you could pray. You see, I think sometimes we want to uh, talk to the person too quickly and try to reason with them too quickly. And it's a trap to want to do that. So what will happen is you get frustrated, they get frustrated, and nothing's done. Instead, just leave them alone. They've chosen to go that way. The, the, the results of their life are the, you know, the results of their decisions. You can't really force them to make another decision. But you can certainly pray. I keep my eye on things. I keep my eye on things that I'm responsible for that involve people that are part of it. 
And you could pray protection over the things you're responsible for. So people could be disqualified from participating in the things you have been, been, you have been um, obedient to God in. They can disqualify from participating simply by their decisions, right? And God will bring somebody into cover to like take, you know, whatever. But if when that person comes to their senses and they decide to change or whatever, whatever, that's when you start, you know, you don't kick them out forever. Like you don't, that's when you could develop a relationship again and see where it goes. But you have to be careful because that person could have been groomed by the enemy to come back in in that way and then destroy everything. It's very much a discerning of the spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. There's so many people that over the years of being, this weekend we're celebrating 18 years of being here, and I'm telling you, so many years, so, so many times over the years that people will come to the church, and one of the things they would usually want to do is work in the kids' ministry. And I would get this thing, like, no, that's not where we need to be. And do you know later you would see the news after they've left? That they were discovered to have been something that children shouldn't be around. But if I had done, if I had done a police clearance test, they would have been cleared because nothing had been uncovered yet. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit will always be the best guide for anything. There've been other situations where people seem perfect for a certain position, but I knew they were not for for that position, and it turned out they were just here to be trained for that period of time and they were supposed to be somewhere else. So turns out then they would relocate or they would have a job, you know, announcement somewhere. It's not always bad when they leave. Sometimes they're leaving for legitimate reasons. But if we had put them somewhere that everybody was louding they should be, it would have caused more of a disruption because of the time that it would have been. Do you see? When in fact, and it also would have hindered their growth. Because most like, because in most cases where they were, that's what they did. They worked all, you know, they did ministry all the time, but they never sat down and got trained. And many times we've had that come, people come in too. Their job was, and see, God will give people mercy and send them to places to give them the opportunity to be washed by the water of the word. What they do with it is totally up to them. And it's not my job to judge whether it's going to take this time. <laughs> My job is to be an instrument and do what God's asking you to do. You know, in the book of, I think it's Jeremiah or Isaiah, one of the prophets, God will tell them, go tell the people this, they're not going to listen to you. But go tell them. Right? And you think, well, God already knows they're not going to listen. What's a waste of time? It's not a waste of time. In order for them to be judged for not listening to what the man was saying, they had to have heard what he said. Right? But God already knew that they wouldn't have listened. But God doesn't skip steps. Why? God doesn't control us. In order for them to get a, um, uh, in order for them to get the whatever consequences of their disobedience to God, they would have had to have something to disobey Him from, right? So God already knew they would disobey, but God would not be just if they didn't allow them to hear. What they were going to disobey. Do you see what I'm saying? So God already knows what our what our decision is, and don't go and saying, "Well, it's already pre-designed anyway. Why bother?" You have it, it does. It goes on your record, 
what you say yes to and what you say no to. It goes on your record. And you have to do something with the decisions. You have to make decisions because if you don't, sin masters. That's what it is. Sin is waiting to master you. That's, that's the bottom line. Sin is on the earth. God ain't going to send sin away from you. Shoo, shoo. That's my chosen child. Shoo. We know that's not true because he would have done that to Samson. He would have done that to Samson. But he didn't. I mean, this was his prize fighter right there. Samson had choices to make. God did not control him, but sin sure did. Right? So, isolation. I don't know how all this ties to isolation. My point is, isolation is not a plan of God. Because Jesus did it led by the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that I know of that did it led by the Holy Spirit. Moses ran into the backside of the desert because he committed a sin. He ran away until his most wanted thing came off the poster. Right? Right? So a lot of people that went into isolation were running away from something. Elijah was running away from Jezebel because he thought she would kill him with a letter. I don't know, he'd get a paper cut or something. So, (laughs) bleed out. (laughs) And and then pride sets in, pity party, poor me, I'm the only one, nobody understands. And see, the enemy will always send some psychologist or some research study or some group on Facebook or some social media group to, to agree with you. That you're right. People don't understand people like us. And you, you'd realize how people get into groups when there's a problem. Like when my parents had cancer, I was so bombarded by these groups. They could not understand how it was possible for me not to be part of a self-care group when I didn't have just one cancer patient to take care of, but I had two even the doctors were badgering me. I mean, they're surgeons. They have surgery to do, and they're in between making phone calls to me to convince me. I said, do I seem unstable to you guys? Am <laughs> I emotionally unstable? <laughs> you know, and then when they realized we were pastors, we have a church, we have people we can talk to, we, we're good. Oh, okay, well, that sounds good, but if you ever need us. But I thought to myself, if I went to one of them cancer support groups, all that would be happening is, Everybody would sit there and talk about their cancer. Okay? And the enemy would have people trapped in a cycle of sickness thinking. Now, cancer is real. The pain is real. The, what it does to your body is real. But talking about it and recycling this nonsense is how it starts getting to become part of your family. Now, it's your friend. And so if anybody ever tells you anything about cancer in a derogatory term, you get offended. And you get told, you just don't have sensitivity to people with cancer. Yeah, I got a lot of sensitivity, thank you very much. (laughs) But I don't have to become a pity party of cancer. Do you see how that trap goes? It's to get you to become a pity party of the subject instead of a strong, I don't think so, person. You see the difference? So that is how we defeat the sin and the trap 
of isolating ourselves to be tempted. That's really what happens. Think about people who are locked alone in their bedroom with their computer screen and commercials come up for pornography. Think about it. Think about people who are locked in their house all by themselves, nobody to be accountable to, much less talk to, and they become alcoholics. Do you know a lot of the child predators on the computer, online, on the internet, they're pretty much on their own, alone, locked away somewhere, doing this stuff, this hidden sin, which is exposing so many humans to this crazy stuff. A lot of it, if you follow the thread, isolation is behind it. And Jesus conquered it for us. So we really don't need to go there. And we need to be accountable to people. We need to talk to people and let them know when somebody is trying. See, about two is better than one. It will never change. Two is better than one. Don't try to protect sin. Don't try to, well, our family, you know, I don't want to tell people about my kids. Cause, uh. Really? Well, then in the meantime, you get beat up. All by yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's not helping the kids. Right. Do you see? In the meantime, you could pray. If you put, if you put Jesus loves the little children of the world in them, pray that their faith would fail not. You keep hammering that. You could pray for the atmosphere they're around. You could pray for the environment they're in. You could pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you exactly what's happening. You could pray all kinds of things. And then you get the opportunity to confront it, sin, it, and they get a decision to make. And if they make the wrong decision again, you get a temperature check. You now know how much of a tie this has on them. You know what demons you're dealing with. You see this? This is how we pray. When the, when the saints were praying for Peter, who was in prison, I remember they were in the house gathered together praying for Peter. I don't know what they were praying, the Bible never told us, but obviously they didn't pray that the, the um, jailer people would be controlled and somebody would tie them up and the angel would come beat them all up and you know <laughs> and they would have no God controlled the things that could be controlled the prison cells open the, you understand what I'm saying Peter walked out of there angels guided him do you see that those were all controllable elements that operated in the prayer so there are times when you don't know what to say in your prayer you don't know what to control or what's being controlling or something you just simply say, I want freedom. I pray for the freedom of my children. Period. And keep harping it. Whatever has them bound, whatever is tying them up, whatever is messing with their mind, I command that thing to be pulled down and I speak freedom over them. That, you know a lot of people make decisions because they're under pressure. Well, under pressure is not freedom. So if you speak freedom over them, that frees them up. And then you're coinciding that with pray that their faith fail not. You got a winner right there. Right? But the key though, you don't practice isolation and try to get your kids out of isolation. That is not going to work. <laughs> or any family member for that matter. Or any person or friend or whatever. You have to be a part of the body of Christ. Not just show up to church, but actually build relationships. Where they know you. Know those that labor among you. Could somebody accuse you of knowing somebody in here? Could you be accused of knowing people? You're supposed to know the people you labor with. That's part of what we're supposed to do. 
But sometimes people are so closed off, they don't want to tell you anything about themselves. It's like pulling teeth, they say. But you have to be the one to be friendly so that you can have friends, right? right. We show ourselves friendly so we can have friends. So open yourself up without guilt and shame. Condemnation isn't from God. He will convict you. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. That means he's giving you an alert. Something's not right. Listen to it. That's what I would do. But that doesn't come with shame and condemnation. It comes with the ability to be forgiven and to wash clean. Boom, it's gone. There we go. You see the difference? All right. Any questions? Clear as ever? (laughs) Clear as can be, right? Father, we thank you for tonight. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory, Lord. We magnify the name of Jesus that is above every other name. And we thank you, Lord, that you will free us from any bondage that we have willfully accepted. We're asking you, Lord, to set us free. It's things that we don't know and things that we do know, Father. We ask you, Lord, we are giving them up and we're asking, Lord, for your help. And we say that we no longer want to be controlled by sin, but we want to master and control sin. And I thank you, Lord, that you are here to help us. Holy Spirit is here to help us. You're here to guide us and lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen Amen and amen. Ladies.